Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. Today's topic is the uplifted Christ. The psalmist says, The entrance of your words give light, it gives understanding to the simple. I'd like to direct your attention today to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. This is on the day that we will subsequently call Palm Sunday, a first day of the week in that Passover season, and Jesus of Nazareth rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this was a few weeks after he had raised Lazarus from the dead, after Lazarus had been in the grave or tomb for four days. This greatest of Jesus' miracles had stirred the crowds, and as he rode into the town that day, the crowds hailed him as the son of David, that is, the Messiah. We pick up our reading in John uh, chapter uh, 12. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing, looking the world has gone after him. So they're speaking to one another. And that's because these hordes of people, this multitude of people were hailing him as the Messiah, as the son of David, and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the son of David. So it's after this particular event, and now Jesus is seated somewhere or standing somewhere with a group of his disciples around him. And we read the following. Now among those who went up to Jerusalem to worship at the feast were some Greeks. We should keep in mind that this is not the first time that a different grouping or ethnic group of people have encountered Jesus in his ministry. He healed the centurion, that's a Roman's son. And in first in John chapter 7, verse 35, it says, The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that he will we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So the Greeks coming to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Now, they could have been uh, what we might call today proselytes, but they were not fully accepted into the Jewish community, but they could go into the temple area of the Gentiles, and there they could pray and worship God. Remember, that's the area of the temple that Jesus would cleanse on the next day after this. At any rate, among those who went up to Jerusalem at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee. That's an area close to, uh, adjacent to the Gentile area and territory. And they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So what, what are they wanting? They're wanting a personal audience. They want to have a conversation with Jesus. They want to meet him personally, as we say. And so what did Philip do? Well, Philip went and he told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip together went and told Jesus. And here's Jesus' reply. Jesus actually does not say, well, yes or no. Instead, Jesus begins a description, a revelation of himself. And Jesus answered them and said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, or that's very true, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, 
it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world would keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then Jesus gives a revelation of his upcoming death on a cross, which will be an uplifted wooden beam in which he will be possibly tied but nailed to this cross. Here's what he says in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to them. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. That's where the title comes from, the uplifted Christ, the crucified Messiah. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ, that is, the Messiah, remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. He's referring to himself as light. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now Jesus directs the attention of everyone to his hour. He said that the hour, in other places he calls it his hour or my hour. What is this hour? It's the Father's appointed time. The Father's appointed hour or time when the Messiah must do the work of the atonement for his people. Often in the past three plus years, he had spoken of the hour as not yet come. So when Mary, first of all, asked him about turning uh, water into wine, that is doing something about the wine supply running out at a wedding, he said, my hour has not yet come. When they tried to stone him to death in Nazareth and he escaped out of their midst, he says his hour has not yet come. But now it's here. It's the hour for him to be glorified. How will he be glorified? And how will be he be glorifying the Father? Well, it's the hour for him to be glorified by fulfilling the Father's will. And he refers to himself as like a corn, a kernel of corn that's planted in the ground. He's like a seed planted in the ground that germinates and brings forth abundant life. He states that this hour has been appointed by the Father. So what's he speaking of here? Well, he's speaking of the divine decree that was made in eternity, whereby the eternal Son, the Word, 
would come into the world assuming humanity and in his body, his human flesh and bone, offer up the sacrifice to reconcile God and mankind, while at the same time overthrowing the enemy of God and man, the devil or Satan, the time of fulfillment has arrived. Father, I have glorified your name and will glorify it. Uh, Now, the Father's glorified Jesus at his baptism and at his transfiguration, and he will also glorify Jesus at his future resurrection and his ascension. But to bring glory to the Son is to bring glory to the Father. For Jesus said that whoever honors him honors the Father. And likewise, if you honor the Father, you will honor the Son. Now Jesus says, when he he makes this statement, should I say, save me from this hour? Because he talks about my my soul is troubled. It's going to become so troubled in the next couple of days that he's going to be sweating blood while he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. But at this point, as he's on the verge of entering into this great trauma of the week of the Passion, he says, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? What should be my response to it? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name through me in my fulfilling the decree that we have made among ourselves. Here's what Jesus says on other occasions about his purpose. On this occasion, he says, it's for this purpose that I've come into the world, that I've come to this hour, that it be lifted up for the salvation of my people. In Luke 19.10, he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In John 6.38, he says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In Mark 10, 45, and also in a Matthew 20 verse, he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. So now he reveals how he will save the lost. He reveals how he will fulfill the will of the Father. He reveals how he will serve us, humanity. It's by giving his life as a ransom. He will do this by his death on a Roman cross. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose, I've come to this hour. The author of Hebrews expresses it this way in Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that is, he partook of flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. You see, by means of the cross, by means of Jesus Christ entering into the death of humanity, that's the judgment against our sin, he will triumph because death will not be able to hold him. He is the righteous, holy Son of God. And when he has fulfilled the judgment that is against us, he will be raised in victory. He said on another occasion, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He says that 
on this particular occasion. Who's the ruler of this world? Well, the ruler of this world, by God's permission, by the way, is Satan and his host. But now the time has come for the fulfillment of the Genesis 3.15 promise where God, in pronouncing a curse upon the serpent, said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So Jesus is now speaking of the moment has come for his heel to be bitten by the satanic host. But most of all is a time when he shall crush the head of the serpent underneath his heel. As a result of this great glory of the triumph of Christ from the cross, he says, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus has said these particular words. It reads, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. This is John eight twenty eight, And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. In John 3, verse 14, this is right at the beginning of his ministry when Nicodemus came to see him. Jesus said to him, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you remember that account in Numbers 21, Moses was told to make a pole and to put a brazen serpent on it that looked just like the snakes that were biting the multitudes of people and they were dying because of the rebellion against Moses and against God. And when they looked at that serpent on that pole, they would be healed. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Paul speaks of this work of Jesus on the cross in these terms in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. While Peter describes it thusly in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself, that's Jesus Christ himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The results of Jesus being lifted up is that he will draw all people to himself. Now, this does not mean every single person on earth. This is not speaking of universalism. It's speaking of his drawing all peoples, all nations, all people groups, all ethnic groups to himself through the proclamation of the gospel that will go forth to the ends of the earth. As a result of, there will be a great host of the redeemed from all the nations, from all the ethnos and ethnic groups under heaven. You see the fulfillment of this in Revelation Chapter 7 and verse 9. And John writes, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Now Moses, I mean Jesus' great declarations about himself and his being lifted up was received mostly in unbelief by the Jews who were listening to him, especially by the leaders. Notwithstanding 
that in the three plus years of his ministry, he had done three great undisputed miracles of authenticity of his Messiahship that John records and has recorded in his gospel up to this time, the last of which was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus challenged his exhortation to them, and Jesus challenged in his exhortation to us, while you have the light, that's himself, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And Jesus reveals himself as the one who is the uplifted one on the cross. And he's also the light, the light of the world. He invites you. He invites me to believe in him, to walk in him. To believe in him is to become sons of light. And to walk in him is to bring glory to him and to his father. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights.